What up, what up, what up? Welcome to another episode of the Love God, Love Sex podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Heath Maxwell. What up, everybody? It's Jamie celebrating Black History Month still. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Happy Black History Month, everyone. Happy Black History Month, Jay. Uh, we want to give a shout brother. Thanks, brother. Uh, want to give a shout out to everyone. Uh, thank you for all the love and comments and attention you've given us on uh, social. Uh, for those who are listening and you haven't checked out the social, we're on TikTok, we're on Instagram, we're on Facebook, and on YouTube at Love God Love Sex Pod. Again, that's at Love God Love Sex Pod. Just go ahead and uh, I would say subscribe or smash that uh, subscriber button. And leave us a comment. You can also hit us up on email, connect at lovegodlovesexpodcast.net with any show ideas or suggestions. So let's get right, right into the show for today. Uh, so just letting everyone know, right, celebrating Black History Month, all of our content is related to sex and Black um, experience and Black love. This one is going to be really intentional and emotional. We're talking about do Black men protect Black women? So this is an important topic for us. Uh, as this has been a reoccurring conversation online that was really elevated and highlighted during April 2022 Oscar slap that occurred between Will Smith and Chris Rock. And one of the immediate responses that was trending on Twitter and subsequent conversations in uh, other mediums and other social media vehicles was about how many women and some men felt that Will Smith's actions towards Chris Rock were about him protecting Jada from Chris Rock's, uh, I guess, jarbs or, or uh, jabs or uh, barbs, but also, I guess, the bit of history between Chris Rock and just also about how a lot of black women felt they had never seen a black man take action on behalf of a black woman in that manner so quickly, so instantly, and so with such intensity. So let's just uh, get right into this conversation in what ways do you think, Jay, black men are protecting black women? Because we're going to get into the whole question of do. So let's start with the are, and then we'll get into the they don't. Do you feel that black men are succeeding in some ways in protecting black women? I do. I mean, I think there are black men out here who value women from our community. Um, I'm just thinking about it first and foremost from a place I grew up in, Newark, where, you know, they kind of have this black fathers walk their, their kids to school. And um, I mean, obviously there are daughters in this conversation or young women in this conversation. So I think that is a way that black men are protecting black women. Um, you know, there, there are husbands out here who are, you know, doing the best that they can to love and protect their, their wives and their families. So I do think there are ways in which black men are protecting black women. Um, even when we talk about, you know, a, a very recent scenario with Meg Thee Stallion, there were a lot of mm-hmm. black men who came to her aid and, and who were speaking up on behalf of her, even though there were some that weren't, I, I saw a lot, you know, online who were, um, just in her corner and supportive and stuff like that. So yeah, there are ways in which black men do protect black men. Yeah. I think there are some community in across black America. So sometimes when I speak to people, I tell them it's black America's not just black America, right? It's not the black community. It's black communities. And you could separate black community by geography, right? 
black community in New Harlem is different than the black community in Newark, which is different than the black community in Youngstown, Ohio, Davenport, Iowa, Chicago, LA, even different parts of LA may have micro communities within them that just have these stark differences that just impact the culture, the tone and the complexion of those respective black communities or that respect, respective black cultures. So that's number one. I think in those different types of communities, you do have uh, black men really going out of their way to dialogue and listen to black women. Because I think with protecting black women, you get into a, a lot of different ways that black women can be protected in order for us to define, you know, successful. So number one, are you protecting black women physically? You know, we talk about ways in which you can get involved if you see, you know, incidents of violence about to occur, black women being picked on, um, whether being convenience stores, uh, the mall, any, any place like that, or even in your own home. Uh, at the, you know, dinner table, Thanksgiving, Christmas, I mean, these holidays, we see lots of time dialogue about the ways in which black women can be treated in people's homes and uh, around certain particular holidays where, you know, families obviously are coming together. So that bits, that gets um, aggravated and, and those in, in incidents sometimes rise. You also look at, I think, the ways that uh, you can protect black women besides physical, you deal with emotional, psychological, uh, protecting black women's ideas. You know, uh, we look at the way the workplace is wired. Sometimes black women, and I don't want to say sometimes, a lot of times black women are the butt of the joke in the workplace, meaning they are the ones who are constantly targeted. Uh, we see now, you know, laws being issued about hair. Right, black women being targeted because of their hair, too kinky, too nappy or unkempt. Uh, you know, uh, they don't want women with locked hair, and they may want women to show their natural hair, even if it's an unlocked state like an afro, when you know, uh, uh, and curly. Uh, so there's other ways to protect black women, and I think again, getting back in the black communities, you find some black communities where they are very much um, about and focused on helping black women. And supporting black women, for example, in the workplace around some of these laws around um, being chased and chastised in, in public in certain uh, unprotected spaces, like I mentioned, the mall and even in some private spaces, like I mentioned, the home. I think you see a lot of that. And I think that for those communities, what they're doing right is they are providing, I think, an open dialogue between um, black men and black women or black women and other genders within the black community. I think that's an important critical role because sometimes when we talk about protecting black women, I think we go to physical. And I think part of that is what are the types of way you dialogue with black women to see ways in which you should be engaging with them and what they're looking for out of their communities because they are contributors to our communities. Uh, they've been Big consistent, yeah, consistent in our community. So how can we be consistent with them? And I think that starts with talking. So mm -hmm. I think those who are talking, those who are dialoguing, those who are providing platforms and podcasts and um, giving up their Instagram spaces to interview and talk and dialogue with black women, whether it's just maybe a black um, an expert or a leader in the community. But more importantly, I think uh, just listening to those uh those uh, that chorus of voices, I think that's where you're starting to succeed is that first in dialogue and communication. Well, it's interesting. I remember you brought up during the uh, orgasm equality episode, emotional and psychological protection. Yes. Yeah, um, mm -hmm. And I mean, it's looking and seeking out those opportunities to create that kind of environment for them to feel safe, for <laughs> them to feel protected. You know, I'm thinking about, you know, when, you know, being single, I often find myself, you know, connected to black women and, and mm -hmm. asking mm -hmm. myself, like, you know, 
if they say that they want a long-term scenario and I know that mm-hmm. I'm not interested mm-hmm. in that proactively mm-hmm. not sleeping with them mm-hmm. to me, I feel like that is uh, a form of protection. You know what I mean? If you know, you hear on, on uh podcasts like fresh and fit, if, if a woman's uh, virginity or her, a, a low body count is something that is sought after by men, don't be the kind of guy that messes up her body count or give, mm-hmm. just gives her another one. You know From their I'm point of view, so, you're saying. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If that's your so point. I'm just like, I feel like that's a form of protection. Not sleeping with somebody who you know wants something more long-term or more in, emotionally engaging and you know you don't. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like that's a, a great form of protection, having some discipline, sexual discipline, um, and not just you know, taking the sex because they're offering or, or because they're giving it because in their mind, I'm engaging with you this way because I'm thinking it's going to lead to this long-term commitment, but you know, in your mind that you don't have any intentions on doing that. So that's a way that you can protect them. Yeah. Yeah. I think uh, another thing that where people may be succeeding uh, with uh, black men, well, black men may be succeeding with protecting black women is in, I think, providing the type of connections. And again, we take keeping the dating and sex now, cause that's what we essentially are uh, dating and sex podcast, uh, love podcast too, uh, is in providing, I think the space for larger conversations, again, going back to communication between black men and black women. So before I mentioned, right, a podcaster or a particular into your brand, like LGLS, like ours, having someone on. And that that's an important thing. But I think anytime you see churches, mosques, other religious institutions, other, you know, uh, Jack and Jill, fraternities, sororities, creating opportunities for black men and black women to talk in mass where maybe there's a panel and all of a sudden they're together and they can break out into groups and those have occurred, maybe not enough, but they have. Uh, I think that's another place where we're seeing some success because again, anytime you're creating a space for psychological and emotional safety, as we mentioned, uh, and you have that in dialogue mass well, in mass dialogue, rather you're opening the door for people to, learn about experiences that they've previously previously been closed off from learning about experiences that maybe they've heard, but they haven't paid attention because it's been easy throwaway, right? Oh yeah, whatever that, oh, you always say that happens to you, whatever, whatever, whatever. Okay. Yeah. They made fun of your hair. Okay. Whatever. As opposed to dang, you're seeing someone in front of you. They're talking, they're direct, they're making eye contact with you. They're intentional in their word choice. They're being, very stern in how they're representing themselves. Stern doesn't mean nasty or rude, just stern, just straight up. This is who I am. This is what I'm giving you. You want to dialogue with me, but here's what it is. And I think that's another way that uh, black men are, are uh, being successful in, in protecting black, black women. Again, doesn't just deal with the physical. Doesn't just mean, well, I'm going to go grab the shotgun or grab this or grab that and run outside on your behalf. It, it, for some people it is at times. But it's also, I think, creating the emotional, psychological safety, as I've said now for the third time. And we keep saying it because I think it's just important for us to reiterate and emphasize and sing home. So with that being said, what ways do you think black men are missing the mark? Or ways that you've heard black men are missing the mark? So this could be from your opinion or what you've heard. You know, you can distinguish, distinguish it when you say it. But, you know, I think this is an important part because I think we hear a lot of this in, in many occasions. I mean, I would just say in the same way that I just mentioned, we, they are succeeding. It's probably the same way that they're failing. Like they are, 
like I mentioned, fathers who are walking their kids to school and being involved in that way. And their parents, fathers who aren't, there are, um, like you said, in terms of physical protection, there are men who would stand in front of that bullet and they would take that bullet just because they value a black woman's life or, you know, they see their mother in that black woman. And they're just like, I would never let my mother suffer this kind of violence. So I, I wouldn't want to do that to just this black woman I see on the street. But, you know, there are also men who are enacting that violence. Um, there are, there are black men who are not taking the time to care about this black woman's experience. Like you talked about that emotional psychological safety. There's like, what am I getting from them? That's their mindset. So mm -hmm. I think there are, you know, black men who are, are I guess, a little bit more selfish in that way. And they're mm -hmm. only prioritizing what they get or what they want from this black woman. And so if I'm not getting anything from you or there's no payoff for me to protect you, then they're not thinking about it that way. And that's, yeah. I feel like that is a, a failure mm. or a failed mindset already about this situation. Like if you don't just care about somebody's humanity enough to just see them as a person and acknowledge their humanity and respect their humanity and honor that, I feel like you're already failing at protecting mm. them. And that's a big comment that I hear coming from black women on the online space or in my personal ciphers, right? A lot of times there is the comparison to, well, what if you have a black you know, mother, what if you have uh, a black sister or a grandmother or aunt, don't you see that black woman or don't you see your aunt or your sister or your mom in that black woman? And what they'll say is, I'm just a human being. Why do I need a proxy? Why do I need a basis of comparison for you to see my humanity? I'm a human being just like you, and I'm looking for the same types of rights and the same types of connections that you're looking for as a human being. Why does it need to be any different? Why do you need to build up all this support and all these comparisons for that to be the case? So I think that's that's a, a really good point that that you added there. One of the things I remember watching a couple of years ago when I had first got into Vlad TV, uh, this is years ago, and there was an interview with Vlad, star from uh, Star and Buck Wild, uh, Hot 97 fame, and Larger Marshall, star and Buck Wild being interviewed by Vlad TV. Vlad. And he, Vlad brought up this point that Azalea Banks made, which is that uh, it was on one of her tweets where essentially she was referring to that black men basically just take advantage of dark skinned women, that they just use dark skinned women, they take advantage of dark, dark skinned women, and then they just move on. So they use them as the basis of just taking out, soiling their royal oats, right? using them, using their bodies, and then they just move on. And I, I remember Star saying, yo, you know what? Let's, let's let that conversation rock. He was like, yo, it's true. It's true. And it has a lot of weight to it. And he was giving it a lot of credibility. And I think that's another way that black men are missing the, the mark when we get into the colorism argument. Now, I've heard it said, and I even saw like a recent Vice Media clip where, you know, I mean, you've talked about this, where within the black community, the colorism argu argument becomes fraught with a lot of tension because you have a lot of dark skinned people saying, Hey, you know, we've had this historical issue of being dark and being ostracized, whereas lighter skinned people seem to have greater access or privilege in the white world or just in the world in general. And I've heard also some, some light skinned people say, well, in our communities, I, we sometimes are targeted as an issue. 
And that becomes a whole nother argument that we can have. But what I've recognized and want to recognize in this conversation in regards to what that comment was about dark skinned women, that is a prevalent argument that happens over and over and said over and over again. When we talk about do black men protect black women, that dark skinned women are unjustly targeted in our communities to be the ones that a are the basis of, you know, let me have my wild out sexual experience with this dark skinned woman, right? Almost the same way that you've seen tropes about black women and bestial sex coming from the white community or certain white media outlets. You would now mm -hmm. have that coming in the black community from black men and black women. And so that is an, another way that I've heard black men are missing the mark because we're not having these deeper talks about colorism and the way that we may segment in our mating and our sex uh, practices between lighter skinned women or brown skinned women and, and dark skinned women. That we use them for the bestial mm. and the lighter skin for the marriage and the community. Community building. Wow. That is very interesting. I have not heard that one before. Yeah. Um, but I mean, I, I guess it has some validity to it. If, if there are, you know, one or, or more than one person that feels that way, that obviously that's coming from their experience. I don't want to minimize anyone's experience and tell them that their feelings are invalid. So I think that's valid. Mm -hmm. um, but I really, just really wouldn't know how to have that conversation because I have felt the same way being a light-skinned person. Yes, what I've mentioned before, yes, that yeah. that, mm -hmm. that um, light-skinned people have said that in the community, they feel tension. Yeah, I mean, and one of the things that we kind of plot pointed for this was intra-community violence. And I think this is a great place to jump into that mm -hmm. um, because, you know, what you're talking about definitely exists. Um, I think there are dark-skinned people in our community who feel like they're targeted. I feel like there are light skinned people who feel like they are targeted. And I mean, that against each other. And so I, I would just say as a light skinned person who, you know, for lack of a better word is, has always been kind of a, a golden boy or treated that way by most of the community. Um, or, or I, I would say, sorry, outside of the community mm -mm -mm -mm. in the community is really kind of felt like, we are, we're never black enough. So it's okay if bad things happen to us, if we're targeted, mm -hmm. um, because most of the time, the majority in any black community is probably going to be brown or darker than brown. You're not really going to have, unless you, you know, in a blue vein society <laughs> or something <laughs> like that, you know, but for the most part, I would just say, it, I think it's hard to have that kind of conversation because I know what that feels like, but I'm just not dark skin. So mm, yeah, yeah. They they may that might be valid for them and that that could be something that they've actually gone through and but and and I can uh I can empathize because it's like when you when you feel like you're targeted because of how you look and it's not the majority or it's not the thing that everybody's upholding, I'm saying in this case most of the communities upholding the dark skin because dark skin is usually associated more with pure blackness. When you feel like you're being othered or ostracized, sometimes it can make it difficult to listen to the other side of the aisle tell you that, that they feel targeted in that way. Mm -hmm. But, you know, it, it is something that resonates with me because I felt that way before. Mm, 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 yeah. So, you know, the, the protection thing, I, I would say if, if our dark skinned women are feeling that way, then it does need to be 
more of a conversation. We do need to be talking more about, you know, how colorism plays out and, and manifests in these kind of narratives where they feel like, listen, I'm, I've already been made to feel like I'm not as beautiful. Mm -hmm. I've already been made to feel like I'm not as desired or worthy from people outside of the community. I don't need that from in, people in, in my inside. Community. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think these are very nuanced conversations because it ultimately gets into some of the challenges we're even having as a larger society right now about lived experiences. So this idea that if you're not, if you don't have that lived experience, if you're not living as a black man, uh, if you're not living as um, a black transgender person, if you're not living as a, um, if you're not living as a black woman, et cetera, et cetera, or a black person living, uh, living with disabilities, then you can't comment or you don't have a right to say or to jump into the conversation. And there's definitely something to be said about hijacking conversations because that happens often and a lot. And we deal with that with mansplaining and uh, talking co opting and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Co opting and appropriating culture. But you're right, giving space, and it goes back to dialogue and communication, which has been the hallmark we said of not even just great sex, what we said in previous episodes, but even in this episode, the hallmark of, I think, unprecedented, astounding healing is being able to listen to each other and to connect with each other and resonate with each other, where people can just be themselves in a space where they're safe and they feel that someone's going to listen to them and then what they're going to respond back to, right? I listen to you. So what I'm going to respond back with is something that's thoughtful and based on what I heard, not based on what I think about who you are and where you have and what role you should have in society. And I think that's really important. Um, so thank you for sharing your experiences. And I just want to take a minute to honor that um, um, as well. Let's shift the conversation. One of the big things that goes on or, or, or in the black community in regards to this conversation, I'm not saying the phenomena is just so rampant, but this conversation goes on a lot in the community, is this idea that physical violence is a major threat to black women from black men. Let's just talk about that for a little bit, because I think one of the things to highlight is domestic violence. Right. Violence between two lovers, two partners in a similar you know, home scenario or just even you know, you're going to visit your partner. You're staying around. But regardless, it can happen anywhere. It's not just in the home. Um, domestic violence. What has been your understanding of that in um, this larger context of do black men protect black women? Mm. Um, that one is difficult because we know that. A lot of times in, in terms of reporting, women overreport and men underreport. So I, so I think that, you know, we might be led to believe that it is happening to black women more. Um, but I really feel like it's, it's just a conversation that we need to talk about across the board, um, just violence against each other. Um, but I do feel like, you know, when we look back at that, you know, Megan Tory situation yeah, yeah, or, yeah. Um, you know, I'm just thinking about, uh, I've heard stories Mike rumors. Tyson or yeah. other, other stories of like celebrity culture violence or, you know, I think because we are naturally wired to look at women as not weaker, physically weaker, um, we should be, you know, looking to uphold their cause more, you know what I mean? Like if, if there is a situation where a man is 
um, enacting violence toward a woman. I don't want to say he has to get a, a harder, a harsher penalty, but I think the community needs to address that um, in a more intense way, because I think there are far greater um, negative potential results from accepting men being violent toward women than vice versa. You know what I mean? I think a lot of times men, if, if we're talking about men being victims of domestic violence, you know, let's just say seven times out of 10, the guy's going to be bigger than his woman. So it's not like he's really hurting from it physically. Um, but, you know, it's not going to hurt him in the same ways that it's going to hurt her. She's going to be hurt physically and emotionally and psychologically from that. And I think that I think because there's more of a potential, like I said, negative repercussions from that, that needs to be dealt with. Uh, differently because men and women are different and we just experience things differently. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I think there has been a history of domestic violence in the community that, uh, that has not been discussed enough, which is what, no, it's not necessarily what I, I think that it just hasn't been discussed a lot. Um, growing up, you know, I didn't know a lot about domestic violence in the black community. I mean, something I saw on like ABC after school specials or TV, but uh, didn't see a lot of it. Uh, and then as I got older, I learned stories that were in my family. I learned about stories outside of my family or my immediate community, uh, people who grew up a certain way and really got into and talked about how there have been these incidents of, you know, um, men who were violent with their wives, with their significant others, with the women in their life. And domestic violence can be anything, right? It could be a child on a parent. It could be, and so you touched on a couple of those things. It could be a woman on a man. Um, so that's obviously a given, right? Domestic violence means, right, really it, it incorporates in many ways violence that happens between a, a, a group that are domesticated, they're living together. But as far as men to women, just because we're talking about black women, protecting black women, uh, it wasn't something I wasn't aware of until I got older. Then I remember uh, The Different World had that episode where uh, I think it was like the fifth season where AJ, I forgot the uh, comedian's name. She was a pretty funny actor on the show. She went through uh, abuse and violence uh, uh, by, by her boyfriend, who was like this, I guess, up and coming rapper uh, on, on uh, the show. And you saw Debbie Allen and the crew of Different World handle that very well. So mm -hmm. I think it's, it's a part of uh, conversations in black communities, but I think it's conversations that are slowly now, I think due to the internet, due to, you know, the internet has made everyone a talking head. It's made everyone a pundit, being able to bring certain issues to light. And a lot of people have a problem with the way conversations unfold on the internet. And I'm not saying that they're, they're the best paths to have these discussions. I'm just saying that you're hearing more of it now just like you're hearing more about UFOs or other phenomena that didn't have mainstream outlets before because there was only like what X amount of magazines, X amount of newspapers or periodicals that would publish content like this. Now you can get it direct to consumer. And I think that's the good part that these conversations now are being happen are happening and then finding better platforms and spaces where we can actually get to healing. You know, how do we have better protocols around domestic violence? How do we have better protocols about identifying and teaching children about, you know, managing their emotions, uh, managing their worldview and managing their bodies? 
And I think that's going to be an important part for moving that conversation forward. You know, we saw recently in the news a, and I'm not going to say his name, a prominent father uh, had disciplined his daughter because she had gotten disrespectful with her mm. grandmother. And then I think went on, you know, and, and that became a pretty important uh, conversation that came out. And so, right, this idea of even now, like, yo, I'm even here now in the black community, yo, we as black parents shouldn't be hitting our children so much. We shouldn't be result, result, I guess, resolved to always using violence or physical interventions as a way to discipline to our discipline. children, right? Mm-hmm. So this idea, this threat of violence that some people would argue and some analysts or researchers may argue that sets the stage for violence that could happen in the home later on because you're setting the stage that violence begets violence. I don't necessarily buy into that argument, not because I, I think it's false. I just, I have to learn more about it and understanding how these things manifest in particular cases. And so it's, it becomes very difficult to have because I think if you want to have a good intelligent conversation, you need a lot of research and you need a lot of data. And I think we're just starting to get there in certain black communities with certain black voices, certain, um, I see clinicians and psychologists who are now coming forward and talking about this black ones, uh, specifically. Yeah, I, mean, I know what uh, incident you're talking about with the famous father, the, the yeah. NBA player. Um, well, how do you feel about that? I mean, you just you just talked about uh, researchers and clinicians would maybe say that there's not, you know, the need for that kind of that to be the the first line of defense um, mm-hmm. in terms of discipline or ever. Um, but how do you feel about that? I mean, do you feel like he was wrong? Do you feel like you know, there was cause for that. Cause I mean, I, I would, I pretty much feel like not to say that, that parents have the leeway to do, had to discipline their kids, however they want, but I wasn't there in that home mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. I don't really know, you know, what the larger conversation was that they were having. Um, obviously we just know the details that were reported. Um, but I feel like if, of a parent feels like their child is being disrespectful and maybe they've talked to them in the past. Like they've tried to have verbal conversations and communicate mm-hmm. things verbally. And that child is just, you know, maybe a little too wayward or they're stubborn. And it's just like, I can't, I can't talk you through this. I, I just need to reboot your computer real quick. Or, mm-hmm. You know, like we used to do the Nintendo and just, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Um, and I, I'm, you know, I'm not, I'm not trying to make fun or make light of the situation, but if there was a, I personally don't feel like a man should ever close fist hit a woman. Mm-hmm. Even if you're talking about self-defense, like unless someone is coming at you with a knife or a weapon um, and you need to meet their level of threat. But I just really feel like a man should never close fist hit a woman. Yeah. So and I remember that was the case, I believe, in that story that, that happened, that there was, you know, a severe beating of the daughter because she had gotten really disrespectful with her grandmother. And the, the daughter's obviously older. She's a teenager. We're not talking about a five-year-old here. We're talking about someone who's, I think, around 18 or around that legal age. And I, I think a couple of things. Number one, you mentioned, you said it perfectly. I don't know what happened in this situation. I only know it lightly that people are saying that he did that and, you know, no one was really commenting yeah and nay. They were just like, dang. Like, I think it was more that he had done that and then went on and graduated, got his, <laughs> went to his master's graduation. I saw one um, 
argument or, or meme about that. And again, it's memes and it's arguments. It's not really well-researched journalism or analytical insight coming from, you know, a specialist who deals with these types of relationships or incidents. Like I mentioned, a clinician, a clinician, a social worker, a psychologist. I, I think when we talk about violence in the black community in the home, whether it's between the two partners or between the children and the parent, the parent and the child, we really have to have, I think, a, a better grasp on what is it we're trying to achieve? What is it, what are your goals in that home? So it's one thing to say, as you mentioned, someone's coming at you with a knife or a gun. That's self-defense. And you need to do what you need to do to subdue the person. Now, you're always going to be subject to the laws of the land. You're always going to be subject to, you know, the opinions of the public court, which is on the Internet, Twitter, and other places, podcasts. You're always going to be open to that. But, you know, self-defense is self-defense, so I just want to carve that out for a second. But in the case of what we're talking about between a parent and a child, I just think there needs to be, A, better ways for us to talk about the issues that go on in our home that are triggers for us triggers for us as parents and triggers for us as children. And it's a very privileged position to say, well, just go get therapy. Because with bad insurance, in his case, former NBA player, and again, you don't know, with NBA players, a lot of them are broke. So I don't know what someone's financial position is. I just think in general to sell somebody, go see a psychologist, go get a social worker when that costs money. And they may not have access to public mental health services is – we have to be careful. Now, that's what they should do. That's what everyone ought to do, me and you included, about anything. But I think we have to be careful when we're casting dispersions or making judgments against people, A, because we don't know that we don't have a well-researched opinion or insight about what happened. And two, we have to approach our recommendations from a sober mind, understanding that not only sometimes is race and power dynamics an issue, but also class is an issue. And I think this gets in the way of us sometimes making really good recommendations for people. And maybe we just shouldn't be in the, in the business of giving recommendations at all. You know, maybe we should really just be out here minding our own business, saying a little prayer for the situation and praying for the best to come out and letting the authorities, whether they be the authorities that get involved, like the police and sometimes they, you know, uh, the court system that assign a family advocate and a family counselor uh, to, to mitigate the situation or, um, the people who say, you know, we have a problem. This is public. This is nasty. This is brutal. And we need to do something about it. Let's take our collective selves into an office with a skilled uh, professional and work on it. Uh, you know, th I, I'm, and I think that's part of what, to me, being in a thriving black community is, is how do you, how are you patient? How are you thoughtful? And also, how are you supportive? Because it's easy to say, that's wrong, this is right, sit down, be quiet, no, not you, I'm going to cancel you, I'm going to turn the volume up on you, you're not getting canceled because I like what you're saying, you know, you're, you're, you're scratching my itching ears for this particular type of content or worldview. It's easy to say that, as opposed to, let's take it slow and figure out what happened, how we can be supportive to somebody in this situation. Yeah, seems like the... Is all people always are trying to solve a crime, not necessarily understand what led to how, like how people got there. Yeah, like everybody for sure. wants to be a gumshoe. 
for sure. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and I mean, you know, and, and the internet has uncovered a lot of things when an incident happens. They're like, oh, look at this. I mean, even with the recent Tyree Nichols thing, I think they were trying to say that one of the officers, you know, baby mom worked at FedEx with Tyree Nichols and then he was the one mm. she had felt for him. And then that's why they ran up on him because listen to the audio when they first got there. They said, oh, is this the guy? So they're pulling some guy over and there was no justification for him being pulled over. So if we know there's no justification. And the chief of police is saying that we must you know, again. <laughs> Yeah, you know, law and orders made everybody. Yeah, like, yeah, and order, Sherlock right? Holmes coming out back out with Guy Ritchie <laughs> as the director has made everyone right. a master of deduction. I don't know what's true. I don't know what's false. All I know is what I see, right? In the case of Tyree Nichols, that was a brutal murder. It was a brutal beating that led to someone's death. Let's just say that. Uh, in the case of the example we gave with the father and the daughter, that was also a very brutal. I don't know what was behind that. Um, and I know we as a black community in general have certain views about disciplining our children physically. And these are some facts I know, but how they play out in that particular situation, I don't know. It's too much information to manage at any given time. And I, especially for a person who's trying to be fair and just, and more, most importantly, mind his own business. So, <laughs> uh, uh, but we have a podcast and we talk about these things. We want to talk about these things for this particular episode because of when we talk about dating, relationships, love, intimacy, sex, this keeps coming up in our community. And it keeps coming up, I think, in even the multiracial context that we all exist in called the United States of America. This idea that black women, when you look at the data, right, Asian men and black women, um, I think that was uh, some research done in OKCupid several years ago, are the least swiped. They're the mm -hmm. least sought out online. Right. Asian men and, and black women. And so... What is that about? Again, talking about the black women, I'd love to talk about the Asian men um, um, issue as well, but would want to do that in dialogue with um, Asian men on our podcast. But even the black women, we, we intend to have black women on our podcast to talk about some of this phenomena and things that are adjacent to this issue. But it's it just seems to be a reoccurring issue that to me needs to be addressed and I, I find to be problematic and I'm just left with more questions than answers. More, I was going to say that I, I just have more questions and answers as well, because, I mean, you know, we are having our own conversation about what protection looks like. But I would love to hear from a black woman, like when y'all say black men don't protect black women or protect black women at all costs, what kind of protection are you talking about? We've talked about our own ideas of what protection is, but, you know, what you started with was talking about the fallout from the Oscar slap. Yeah. And. You know, I remember the Tiffany Haddish statement of talking about, yo, I've never seen a, a black man protect a black woman like that. Yeah, she also and said uh, I I was just like, yeah. I have never, prior to that, I had never heard a black woman call for violence mm. as a form of protection. I had never heard, personally had never heard that. Mm -hmm. So when she said it and it kind of caught wildfire, I was like, wow, there's all of these black women out here who who would want who would have these calls for violence as a form of protection. I didn't, I just didn't know that. Can I just jump in here for a second? I, yeah. I don't think that she was calling for violence. I think she was more responding to uh, his display of violence and the way he did it in the context of Chris Rock's jokes. And also I think the history of Chris Rock and, and Will Smith, you know, Chris Rock making jokes about Jada. Um, not to saying I agree with the Oscar slap or anything like that. I just wanted to give a context to, to Tiffany's um, comment there. Um, but I hear what you're saying, because on Twitter, there were people saying 
and connecting it to violence, right? There was the physical intervention. So I'm not denying that either. I just wanted to be clear about Tiffany's statement, at least from my perspective. But I agree with you. There was a lot of people on Twitter saying that this act of violence was a form of protection and that he was nipping something in the bud. He said that was the most that was the most beautiful display or so something so like that. Suck his dick from uh, from the back tonight. She told Jada. I walked up to her and said she had to suck his dick from the back tonight. Yeah, I'm not saying yeah. that she wasn't, you know, that she didn't see it that way. I, I I guess for me being the stickler that I am wanting to just to distinguish between calls for violence and resonating and connecting with the violence. Um, yeah. You know, the Oscar slap was Again, for me and you, we originally did an episode on it and then we scrapped it and wanted to circle back in, in this conversation because for us, I remember me and you that night looking at the Twitter feeds and then the next day looking at the Twitter feeds, really trying to make sense of this because we and you from our vantage point just looked at it as a slap for something that we felt didn't really make sense at the time or were critical and pu puzzled by. And then everybody on Twitter and the Twitter sphere and the conversation sphere on TikTok were looking at it as a lot of people, not all, you know, protection. He had to protect her. He had to protect her. And I think this opens in that, up in that way specifically. Yeah, in that way. But it also led to other other types of um, issues around protection as well. You know, mm -hmm. again, at the workplace, um, uh, in church. Uh, you know, where some women by, by a certain type of past may be preyed on. And mm. we can go into all these because I've heard in the manosphere conversations, well, if these women are being preyed on, a lot of these women are seeking out the pastor. And I've heard those conversations too. Men are preaching, the legs are open, there's no panty on, there's, there's the eye wink and all that. So I'm not saying that we can't have those conversations. I'm just saying just for the context of what we're talking about, where someone is being victimized. Someone right. is the prey to this predator a power, an authority. Mm -hmm. And what are the men in the community doing about it? Yeah. Uh, and that's kind of the charge coming out. That's that's the question being, I think, put, left on the table in many ways. And I don't know. I'll give you another example. We once heard a pastor, I don't know if you remember who it was, I'm not going to say his name, had said that when he was growing up or when he was younger, in the black community, you had one time, one time to put your hands on your wife. Because after that happened, all the men in the community would come through and have a conversation yep. mm -hmm. with you. And not with their right. mouth either, with their with A physical their conversation. Yeah, yeah, right. yeah, yeah. With their fists and their, their legs and their feet. Is that a solution to domestic violence? Is that a solution to that type of violence in our community? See, I think, I think it is. Again, like I was talking about, there's more of a long-term repercussion for a woman to suffer violence from a man's hand. So I'm like, I would be a proponent of that. Like, I think that's something you can handle within the community where all the men would come to that dude's house and be like, Hey, we need to talk to you out here back at the woodshed. You know what I mean? And you go back there and you put the paws on them and duff them out and be like, yo, this is the lesson that you have to learn. Like you, you can't, you cannot bring that kind of energy into this community that we want to thrive. So whether it is, you know, I've heard women talk about just walking past a construction site and guys catcalling and yes. talking all kinds of reckless yes. to them. Yes, yeah, yeah. Talking and it's reckless. like crazy. Yeah. Um, 
So, so that's another scenario where I feel like in the community, we need stronger men to intervene in that kind of situation and say like, yo, y'all need to be respectful about how y'all talk to her. Mm-hmm. And, and it doesn't matter what she has on. It mm-hmm. doesn't matter that, you know, her thighs are showing or she got the low cut V shirt. That's, that's not a license for you to disrespect her. Mm-hmm. So that's a form of protection. And I think in no, and those kinds of scenarios, it might make sense if the talking gets out of control and that gets disrespectful or a man feels like he has license to put his hands on a woman, um, not violently, but inappropriately. Mm. Like, Mm. you know, a girl's walking by and you, you go up to her and you grab her hand, like, Hey baby, like she didn't ask you to touch her. You don't have license to just put your hands on anybody you want to. And again, not that somebody needs to serve as a proxy, but, Look at her the way you would look at your mom, your sister, your aunt, your daughter. Um, you would not want somebody to do that to them. So, you know what I mean? Just pay that forward. Just look at look at that woman like you would someone in your family. Yeah. Now, I know it gets hard because, you know, there are some disrespectful black women. And, and they do walk by and, I guess, kind of incite some of these scenarios. Not necessarily look, they're not looking for it, but you know, if a guy's trying to talk to you and you're just overly mean, they ain't got fuck out of my face and all that. It's like, I really was just trying to say hello. Hope, you know, hopefully you have a, a good day. Well, I don't need you to tell me. And it's just like, like I've seen women escalate that to spitting in a dude's face. And a dude was just like, wow. Now you may ask yourself, well, what is, what should happen in that? scenario what should happen like should he respond in kind should he spit back at it should he slap like what should he do i think spitting is is, is classified as assault isn't it i don't know it, it may be I don't, I'm thinking legally now at i'm that, not talking about what at, people at, just made and so that's why i was going to say at that point do you enact street justice or do you leave it up to the courts to kind of you know mitigate that and tell I, I you what even know if you, 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 you ran down to the precinct and filed a Paperwork, right? Nobody's gonna do that. Nobody's gonna yeah, see I mean, this person assaulted you. There, it's it's dry you. or it's gone, <laughs> right? So you wouldn't just, even, yeah. That's the first thing you're not gonna just let it. Th- I'm gonna say, let me just run this down to the precinct so you can get the DNA. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, evidence, evidence. Oh man, yeah. uh, you know what? What I am, I, what I, and this is good because I, 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 we get to challenge each other in this episode is. What I have a problem with is that that times women's attitudes or how we perceive women's att- black women's attitudes right now, excuse me, is a justification for how they're treated. I'm not saying that's what you said because that's not what you said, but I think you bring up the attitude in response to some a, a unwanted male engagement, right? Someone hitting on them is a good kind of segue to talk about that. Because that's something else that I believe black women get critiqued on, their attitudes. And at some point, you're allowed, I believe in life, you're allowed to have an attitude. Now, that can attract people to you, and that can repel people from you. It can attract people to you in good ways and in bad ways. It can repel people from you in good ways and bad ways as well. But I think that the idea that a black woman has an attitude means that now I can respond in kind to her even though I'm the one who initiated conversation with her 
as a stranger in the club, as a stranger at the grocery store, and a stranger in the street, stranger at, at you know at, at a wedding. Now I have a right to castigate you, to attack you, because you gave me attitude. Now attitude's never fun to experience, mm -hmm. but does that mean that person deserves violence? Number one, and then number two. It's very funny that in my life, growing up in a multiracial capital, multi-ethnic capital that I grew up in, I've seen all types of attitude comes from all types of people, men and women, he, she's, and they's, all types of gender, genders, excuse me. Yet, when we talk about attitude, the first idea we have or the first image we have sometimes is of a black woman. And their nastiness. And their vitriol. Mm -hmm. And I believe this gets to the heart of what we're talking about protecting black women. Where, look at how she acts. Look at that tone. She obviously is, or obviously deserved, or obviously fill in the blank. Fill in the blank. And this is yeah, where no. it becomes highly... And I use this word problematic, and I've used this word again on the podcast, and I'm going to say it again now, evil to me. It's evil. And this is some of the ways I believe that, you know, black women in general, when you see them um, using their platforms, whether, again, it's Instagram, TikTok, Facebook, books, right? We're talking about bell hooks. We could talk about some of the more um, great writers, women writers, Alice Walker and others, Toni Morrison. When they're Francis talking Cross about Wilson, some, yeah. navigating mm -hmm. some of these experiences, this is what they're talking about. The unjust weight tied around their necks. The unjust judgment wrapped around their bodies that they are then tossed into the, uh, the, the abyss of forgetfulness, never to be seen or heard from again because she had this attitude. Yeah. Because she did me wrong. Look, we're human beings. We're going to do each other wrong. We're human beings. Period. We get Period. nasty with each other. Yet Period. I notice, and this gets into the black community now, because I, I don't make it. Man, Martin says, I want to make it about the brother man, not the other man. Is why then do we justify? Or why then, not so we justify, but why then do we have these, we make these connections in our mind? Why do we have these prejudicial biases, or all these biases rather, about black women? No, you're right. Some people do justify it, and that's wrong because it is based off a of stigma. It is based off a of stereotype. And like you said, it, it doesn't give you license to then castigate them or treat them the way in a negative way because you feel like they didn't respond or they didn't give you the energy that you were looking for from them. They don't they're not, they don't owe you anything. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's my thing. And we're coming here to close to an hour. So this has been a very special episode. And for those listening, if you've been listening for an hour, uh, we wanted it to be this long because this is a very, I think, important, vital, essential. I can't think of any other adjective right now. Uh, that a conversation that we need to have, especially not just, well, especially as black men, uh, straight black men, but even more importantly, I think as a nation. Because I would always argue that anti-blackness is not a black issue. It is an American Republic issue. It's an issue of the, in the United States, just like, you know, inflation, just like uh, some of our economic woes, just like, you know, shooting down unidentified objects over Alaska. 
you know, these are American issues. These are issues of the citizenry, not issues of a particular part of the citizenry, even though we obviously are informed by it and we are colored by it in a different way. No pun intended about the color. So, so, you know, uh, I, I want to wrap this up and just, first of all, thank you for, for dialoguing with me about this. Uh, I hope we can revisit this and we can have greater dialogue with black women about this. I mean, you've talked about bringing black women on where we can just listen and con- converse as opposed to just the interview, even just really give someone a platform to talk to us about their perspective and their experiences as a black woman um, in dating and sex, and also connected to some of these larger social political issues and questions that we're asking today. Uh, but as we wrap up, what is it you're hoping to carry with you out of this conversation? I mean, I think you just said it best, just um, being open to dialoguing and hearing, giving them a platform and opportunity to speak. If, if they already feel like they are, you know, as Malcolm X put it, they're the most disrespected person in America. If a lot of them are already feeling that, you know, we need to address that. We, we need to make them feel like they are just as much of a part of this American fabric as anyone else. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think as black women continue to rise in this country, um, you know, be becoming more educated, getting higher education and um, even in the workplace, you know, be being in more positions of leadership. Like I think it behooves everyone to be an ally. You don't need to start bending over backwards and pandering to them. But I think when you look at how they are, again, on an incline, steady incline and and steady uptick, you know, it, I think it just behooves and benefits everybody to be an ally to black women, to listen to them, um, to give them audience and to, to let them talk about their experience and to really try and understand that and empathize with that because no one, no one should feel like they are the most disrespected person in mm-hmm. any room or, or any space. Mm-hmm. It's just, mm-hmm. I really, I really hate that there are, there's anyone here on, on this planet in this country that feels like that narrative applies to them. Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. Um, thanks again, Jay. And thank you everyone for listening and thank you everyone for who's viewed for viewing, uh, again, give you our socials, uh, at Love God, Love Sex Pod, TikTok, Facebook, Instagram. And we hope you keep it positive and just remain introspective about who you are and how you matter to those around you and how those around you matter to who you are. Take care. Peace.